0: What's up, guys? I am Evan. I'm Rome. And we are back with another episode of RA Radio. This time, we are talking to John Wellborn.
1: Yeah, I think we had a really great conversation with John. Um, I've only listened to him speak on podcasts for probably the last five or six years, so it was great to have him as a guest on our podcast.
0: Very cool, very cool. He's a very smart guy. I mean, I think a lot of people in the gym are relatively familiar with John. You probably heard about him, but he's done all sorts of crazy stuff from... Being in the NFL, he runs Power Athlete. He, uh, I couldn't even list all the stuff he's done. And I think we get into that a little.
1: Absolutely. Uh, he was the largest athlete to ever compete at the CrossFit Games as well. So another accolade that you can add to his list of accomplishments for uh, something relatable to our audience.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Very smart dude. Very strong dude. Fun to get to, talk to Him excited for you guys to listen to that. We don't have any immediate announcements as far as events or anything. We just got through. Thanksgiving, uh, the half marathon row, which was a party and a half as always. It's what's, I think it's type two fun. There's like type one fun, type two fun. (laughs) CrossFit's always like type two fun. I believe it is. Um, but yeah, it was definitely, if you're willing to sit and row for 90 to 120 minutes, that's a, that's a certain kind of fun.
1: Absolutely. I agree. I, um, I've never participated in the event myself um, just because it's not my kind of fun. But um, I'm really happy that everyone did come out. Um, some little things for that event or classes with the spread of COVID and how aware everyone is of it right now. It's really, really important that we follow our guidelines of spacing, cleaning, masks. We're doing everything we can to keep you guys healthy, keep you guys safe. Um, And we just need to keep it up. And hopefully the government will allow us to stay open and everyone can keep training and we can keep kicking ass.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think everyone is in the same boat as far as masks are a frustrating challenge in some ways with working out, but they beat not being able to do anything. And so we're just, you got to make the best of it, you know?
1: And if you are listening to this and you have not gone out and purchased a mask, um, after a week of wearing them and touching, reaching out to other people and touching base, We have decided that the Under Armour mask is the best. Yes, I have one. Perfect. And it rides across your nose a little bit better than the other masks. And what that allows it to do is sit off of your face a little bit nicer. So when you're breathing, you're not sucking in the mask. And it also doesn't make your face super wet and like the uh, the paper masks do. Um, If you're like myself and you have facial hair and you have a beard, those paper masks make everything wet and it's obnoxious yeah so if you're having a hard time with your masks and you're looking for what's your best option i would recommend picking up the under armor one i believe they're about thirty dollars but you're not going to regret it
0: yeah yeah that's what i did i had a i've done the the cloth or the paper mask, cloth mask. I've done the buff because I was worried about my ears actually, which is why I decided to try the buff thing. And the buff was even worse because it kept wanting to fall down on me. Okay. The Under Armour one does a good job, it doesn't really bug your ears. And I think Gouch went out and said they have them actually at the Under Armour store in the Lee outlet. I don't know if there's any world where really? they're like sold out now, um, but I know he went out actually after the row. And bought a bunch of them for people. That's where I got wow. mine, and they, it was only like twenty bucks there. That's so awesome. if you want to drive the Lee, as opposed to I know a few people have ordered them online, but they're like back ordered yep. actually. So it might be worth calling there if you're trying to get one quicker.
1: I think that's a great idea.
0: I was surprised when I went to Dick's that they didn't have any of them. They just had the regular.
1: Like you guys are missing a huge opportunity. I know,
0: there. so much money to be made. But uh, yeah, so masks are a fun party. Christmas is coming. Everyone, stay safe. Yes. And, uh, you know, we just switched over to Train Heroic. That's another thing I guess we could mention. That
1: is a big announcement. Um, And in the past, this would be a huge big deal. But with the year of COVID, honestly, it seems like a much smaller deal. (laughs) Um, I've been using Train Heroic personally for my own workouts for a thousand sessions right now. So if you figure out how many years that is, it's probably about three years of working out. Um, I've been writing programs on it for a long time, and I truly believe that it is a superior software for tracking workouts and tracking weights. I know everyone has been using SugarWad now for five years or so, so you're very ingrained in that. All I will ask is give Train Heroic a chance. Give it a month. Give it two months. I promise you're going to like it. They've, they've built in a ton of little gamification things of tracking your weights and monitoring different things that's really useful and helpful but the catch is you have to give it time to input your data so the software can work and do what it needs to do. So do me the favor, give Trainer Oak a couple months. Um, I'm leaving SugarWad up for all of December so you can pull whatever data you need to off of SugarWad. Go in there, find your workouts, find your lifts, find your numbers, pull it off of there so you have a record of it. You have all of December to do that. But after December, coming into January 2021, Sugar Wad will most likely be gone and we will be full bore, train heroic.
0: Yeah. It's one of those things, change is always tough. It's the same thing whenever Facebook or Instagram changes their UI and it's just miserable for like the first two weeks and then you do it and you're like if, if you ever go back and can look up something where they've stored the old versions of Facebook you're like oh how did I ever use that <laughs> or but
1: Instagram just did those tricky fuckers where they used to have like your likes button oh, of who liked yeah. it now they moved the shopping button there yeah I can't tell you how often I click on that shopping button I'm like I'm not shopping for something I was trying to see who liked to post
0: oh, yeah there's something very smart and sneaky about going on your muscle memory and putting yep. the new button right there <laughs> I, I I do I hate that one but yeah it's uh, and you know it's one of those things too that's. this is sort of a side thought but for me personally i like getting a reset once in a while and so you know maybe it's a good chance obviously if you want to save all your stuff that's great but it's also sort of like when you get a new phone i've gotten into the habit of i actually don't carry over anything from my old oh really i just clean slate the whole phone and i find it's a really good chance to like actually only re-download apps I use yeah. I like have my photos are backed up to Google Photos and stuff but so like it's it's a good chance that if you have any you know benchmarks you're really proud of then obviously save them but maybe it's a good chance to retest everything as it comes up and not live in the knowledge of oh I did 80 pounds last time so I'm going to do 82 and a half pounds this time or whatever it just lets you sort of play it a little more fluid so it's a good opportunity to go into the new year I'm sure programming is potentially going to be a little different you've talked about being with some of the things you can actually do and give people now with Train Heroic. So, you know, just give it a chance. It's something new to do. You're going to get fit. You're going to get a lot of information about it and uh, it's different, but it's not a bad time.
1: And honestly, it is a superior software system, so give it a chance and you will like it.
0: It definitely is. I like it. We use it for Barbell Club, and now you don't have any excuse to not do Barbell Club with us, because you already have a trainer on it.
1: <laughs> so the, the other aspect to that, which is right in line with what Evan's saying, and it's really cool, is now you're going to have your class programming on your feed, but if you sign up for the Barbell Club and RA Strength, you can sign up for them without doing them, but in your feed, every day, you're going to see what the class programming is. Scroll down what ra strength programming is scroll down what barbell club programming is and it really gives you a preview of everything that we have going on in one place rather than me having to send you different links for different signups and doing a bunch of different stuff it's all in one place and i and what i really want people to take advantage of the comment section because you can have interactive comments you can leave emojis you can leave fist bumps you can give thumbs up you can do a bunch of stuff on there um to make it really user-friendly and enjoy your experience with it.
0: Yeah. One little thing that I did see, uh, I think Phil mentioned is, which I wasn't aware of is that if you go in and manually update your working maxes or training maxes, whatever they call it, apparently it stops auto updating for that movement until you get your next test. Really? So that if, if you go in and actually put in all your one reps, it, normally what Train Heroic will do is it will automatically update based on if you work to a heavy five yep. that's heavier than what you've done before, it'll say, oh, that's here's your, your new, new training rep. max. Yep. But once you put in a working max until you do a new test, which I guess has to get scheduled from yep. the coach side, it won't automatically update. Really so that's just one thing that I don't know how we want to recommend people interact with that, whether you put in all your one reps or just let it play yep. out. or
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it that, that'll be a personal decision. I will put in testing for when we go for one rep maxes, and I will plug that in. But if you just... I honestly, when I moved over to Train Heroic, I didn't move any data with me. I just did what kind of what Evan was saying and I started fresh, I started new and I started plugging and playing with it. And over a month, two months, it picked up all of my numbers and gave me some pretty good guidance. And which is cool is now when you pick up your phone and I'm like, hey guys, we're gonna do five sets of five uh, squats today, it's gonna be ascending from 65% to 85%, it's gonna tell you the number to lift. You don't have to figure out your percentages. It tells you specifically you need to lift 383 pounds for blah, 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 whatever it might be. Right. Um, But it's it's really useful.
0: Yeah, it's very cool. So that's all. We were supposed to do a quick uh, intro and it turned into a longer intro, but uh, (laughs) we're just gonna get into it. So here's our interview with John. Check it out. So today we're here with John Wellborn, CEO of Power Athlete, among many other things, longtime acquaintance and friend of Rome. Glad to have you on the show, John.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Where are you right now?
2: Uh, I'm in our office. So I'm in Austin, Texas. Uh, We moved out here about four years ago, and there was a horse barn on my property that we converted into office space. So We polished the floors, did spray foam, metal uh, walls, cedar roof. Uh, air, bathroom, the whole deal. So this is where our podcast room is, and this is our office. You can kind of get an idea of what's going on around. You can see the cool cool cedar ceiling and everything we got going. So this is our office. That's That's a killer man cave. Very much so. Yeah. So, uh, Rom, you guys have been out and seen the building where we have the gym and the shop. This is kind of our – this is the office for the day today. Very cool.
0: Very cool, man. So season two of the podcast, we're talking about longevity through performance. Um, I feel like we have to ask like, how old are you now?
2: I'm 44.
0: 44, you're pretty fit for 44. Could definitely beat the hell out of me. Um, you know. So what like when, when you immediately hear like longevity through performance, where does your mind go?
2: Uh, two things happen as we age, we start losing mitochondrial density and you, you lose the ability to recruit motor units. So to combat that, I make sure I still lift heavy weights and I do a ton of aerobic work. So I have a nice aerobic base for that mitochondrial density. And I don't eat like an asshole. And I try to sleep and get my blood work done and figure out where I'm, you know, deficient in micronutrients and supplement if I need to, and stay ahead of any problems that arise.
0: Gotcha. Very cool. Have you had any um, issues that you've been struggling with, like post NFL career and whatnot? Anything that's a a little niggle or anything?
2: Uh, My right shoulder is a little messed up. I had a surgery about 10 months ago uh, just to clean out, and they shaved off a bunch of bone uh, from my AC joint and the acromial head and uh, cleaned out a bunch of scar tissue, and I had a bunch of bone spurs. So that was nice. So I've been pretty much consistently rehabbing that for about the last 10 months. And uh, I wouldn't say it's back to. Normal, but it's, you know, orders of magnitude better than it was before going into surgery. So I got that. And um no, I mean, for the most part, uh, you know, I realize that uh, with the NFL, there's a ton of cognitive issues guys are running into. And um, I don't know if maybe I was just lucky or managed it a little bit better, but I have not seemed to have the cognitive issues other guys have.
0: That's good. Brains important. That's awesome, man. I was, so, well,
2: we, it could also be the fact that uh, I got to get on the podcast and do stuff like this, and you know, run a business and constantly stay sharp. I wonder if I was just sitting at home, like a how to, like a potted house plan, if things would be a little different.
1: No, for sure. And I remember, I think I remember hearing you talk about um, post NFL. You went more the keto route initially, right, to tr- work on some brain health stuff and tried to really work on fats and um, omega-3s and really hammering that home for brain health and not so much the performance end, but more of the longevity end.
2: Yeah, um, I think it was this, maybe about a year, maybe two years after I retired, <coughs> I got contacted by Dr. Amen from the Amen Clinics in Newport Beach, which was ironic because I lived in Newport Beach. And uh, they asked me if I'd be interested in getting into one of their NFL brain studies. So at the time, the NFL had approached them about doing brain studies to kind of see what the long-term effect was, was of NFL players. And so they found a bunch of local players they could bring in. We did cat scans, brain scans, uh, brain mapping, cognitive testing, intelligence testing, emotional testing, and went through about five or six days of these uh, like pretty interesting tests. Uh, I get to the very end and uh, I, I sit in a room with all these doctors with lab coats and they start putting up all these pictures and the guys like, we got the good news and the bad news. I always take the bad news first. What's the bad news? Uh, the left side of your brain is damaged. So this part of your left frontal lobe has significant damage that we would see with a player who roughly had 10 years of NFL experience, maybe less, maybe seven, somewhere in there in the range. Uh, I was like, well, what's the good news? And they were like, well, cognitively, you were the smartest dude we've ever tested. And I was like, I don't know if that's good news. That's like being like the smartest kid in like the dumb class. Um, <laughs> they you know, it's not like mustache. a I'm, Yeah, it's like I'm like <laughs> not out there working with like, uh, you know, Nobel laureates and, you know, PhDs. So uh, I just was kind of funnily asked, uh, like, you know, a little sense of humor. I'm like, hey, can I get a note that says this? Because the part of my brain that got damaged is one of the the maps of the brain that they associate with sympathy and empathy. So I remember being like, oh, I'm going to... I'm I going to get a note on this. So I got the guy to write me a note so I can, my wife could excuse me for being an insensitive asshole. Absolutely, at all uh, times,
1: which, pull that card and be like, "Hey, listen." Yeah, I'd be the like, just said ah, it's, it's brain damage." <laughs> yeah.
2: But uh, one of the phone calls I made on my way home was to Matt Lalonde, who's a buddy of mine, who's a PhD research scientist at MIT, and oh no, he's at Harvard now. And he was, uh, you know, one of the smarter people I've ever met in my life, and um, told him what I was going through. So he had his minions pull out a bunch of research and they looked at like 10,000 research studies over the years and found that. And this is pre uh, kind of keto. This is pre a lot of this stuff. I mean, this is like, like pe- you were still having to explain to people what a paleo diet was sure. at this time, maybe 2010, 2011. And so uh, he looked at it like a very traditional ketogenic diet had been used for many, many years to treat chronic and acute brain trauma. So, um, he sent me all the literature kind of designed it. And, uh, I did as, uh, kind of, um, a, a more higher protein, higher fat, no carb diet. Like I didn't eat a carb for almost a year wow. and, uh, came through on the other end of that. And I went up and visited Rob Wolf up in Chico. And I remember like sitting there with Rob and, uh, as we were like sitting down, he's like, Hey man, like, let's go get some sweet potatoes. So we, when we got some ribs, we got some sweet potatoes, came back and ate. And it was like, as I was eating the sweet potatoes, it was like somebody wrapped me in a warm blanket. and <laughs> I just wanted to like go lay down. But the interesting thing, Rob made a funny point. He goes, man, when um, he's told me this years later, he goes, I remember before you went and got tested, you called me about something. And then you called me the next day and we had the exact same conversation. And I got nervous thinking like, fuck, my friend's, you know, having some cognitive issues. You didn't even remember having a conversation. And then here we all are all of a sudden a year later. And he's like, it's like night and day difference. So I don't know if it was the ketogenic diet, the fact that I was, um, you know, removing the stimulus or, you know, let's say the damaging factor, which is, uh, you know, the NFL. Uh, I don't know if it was, I was abstained for alcohol. I don't know if it was, the, you know, whatever it looked like, but something happened in that yearly transformation. And I think I came out of the other side of that much better. And so, um, and then probably about two years, maybe a year and a half after that, um, I was, you know, uh, we work as a contractor for Naval Special Warfare and I was working with a bunch of SEALs. They came up for another place in Newport Beach that was uh, um, for some cognitive testing that they were going through for a study for the U.S. Department of Defense that was trying to quantify what effects of the brain were different in guys that were so calm, special operators, you know, the Navy SEALs, the elite, you know, Apex Predator, you know, whatever that all that bullshit is. Um, but yeah, like they really wanted to find out if there was something unique within the brain function so that they could pre-screen for individuals. Like, hey, if all of these guys have this, we'll just pre-screen and then just give all the people that we know have the, you know, whatever a chance. So I went over with them and I met the guy, Dr. Jin at the Newport Brain Research Center. And uh he was like, oh geez, you're an NFL player. We started talking. I got into a study or just got tested with it and what was interesting was i went through all the scans went through all the mapping went through everything and the damage on this side was no longer visible through his machines
1: that's awesome that's actually so, gonna be my
2: next question of like did you ever get that retested and apparently you didn't yeah. it came out pretty well yeah well i mean either dr Amen was uh bullshitting me <laughs> or uh we had spontaneous brain healing which is a pretty fascinating deal because uh you know, like uh, there's a lot of stuff with like, um, you know, they talk about medicines or supplements, whatever, not getting across the blood brain barrier. So it's extremely hard to treat the brain. Um, but what I kind of concluded is if you can remove some of the inflammation or some of the issues within the brain, I believe the brain can heal itself if you give it the right environment. Um, there's sutures in the brain. You know, when you're born as a baby, the, the skull is flexible. Yep. And then over time, the sutures end up kind of fusing and we have this illusion of having a hard skull. That's not the case. The brain still, or the, the skull still moves and flexes. And actually, as we breathe and the heart and everything pumps through, the brain should have, or sorry, the skull should have a little bit of movement. That movement allows a pumping motion that I think what it does is it clears uh, lymphatic fluid and all the you know, fluid within the brain and potentially gives the brain the opportunity to heal itself. The problem is, is that if the sutures get really locked down, especially in the front, from the like the na- from like the uh, the nasal passages, and you have to also think as an NFL player, the amount of uh, fascia built up in the back of my neck from just the constant you know um, impacts, basically <laughs> made my skull like it was a fucking rock. And then also from all the hits, all the skull, all the uh, the bone and the you know. Uh, tissue and just uh, fascia and, and like in the front part of my skull had effectively locked my brain down and locked my skull down. So about that time in between that period, when I got tested, I had gone out and seen Dr. Craig Bueller, who spoke at the symposium who, uh, from the Amet deal, uh, activated muscle integration technique. He's in Caseville, Utah. He does a deal, which is called the cranial manipulation where he sticks a balloon in your nose and then inflates the balloon. And actually it's like this huge crunch and what it does is it breaks everything loose and allows the, the skull and everything to start moving again. So he did that cranial manipulation on me numerous times. And the first time he did it, it was like, like imagine if you were wearing like a tight hat or like had like a, like a tight knit cap or something on your head. And then after like two days, you didn't really notice it anymore. And then you took it off and then all of a sudden you were like, shit, that was kind of tight on my head. Really, That was the pressure I felt in my head that I didn't necessarily know I had until it went away. And Mm. as soon as it went away, I was like, holy shit, it was like my skull was compressed. He also recommended I go to a rolfer. And uh, if you guys know rolfing, it's like real right? So it's like real painful myofascial release. And this guy had all these like uh, uh, like spoons and metal things. And the guy did this whole myofascial release on the back of my head and all through my head because I had built up so much uh, fascia and scar tissue that he released all this. And like that crunch in the front and the release in the back, man, it, um, it changed a lot. So I think it was a cumulative effect that I think, you know, one, obviously removing the stimulus or let's say like the damage, I say the stimulus, but like, you know, remove the impacts and that constant deal, um, you know, not fall into a bottle of alcohol and a bottle of pain pills, you know, continue to train had purpose, you know, was working on CrossFit football, developing Power Athlete, you know, this all this stuff was in its infancy, was still in my mind trying to come out. Um, working on that, uh, still training, um, you know, getting my blood work done to Dr. Tom. So I was really like, you know, looking at micronutrients, macronutrients, uh, you know, making sure I was eating well. I was eating a pretty close paleo kind of keto diet like we talked about. And then, you know, just being able to find some really interesting people like uh, Dr. Bueller and, you know, some of the other people I worked with. And all of a sudden, a couple of years later, I go get tested, and the damage that was allegedly there is no longer there. That's pretty so gnarly, that, man. That's pretty yeah, cool. So.
1: The um, the nose thing. My wife just found someone locally around here that does that, where they put like the balloon up your nose and like cracks your face. And I've been dying to do. It. I actually really want to do Should it. As weird as that it. sounds, I want to. So we um, film it? Yeah, sure, whatever. Okay. <laughs> um, Two thousand eight. I had an orbital blowout where I blew out this side of my face put me back together, plastic surgery, put my face back together, right? A bunch of long-term brain effects from that. But really similar to what you were saying, Rob, I was or um, John, I was really fortunate that in 2009 I attended Rob and Matt's CrossFit nutrition seminar in Boston, and I got hooked up on pretty much paleo and keto in 09, right around that time, same time span. But I um, – I still blame all my mental shit on that injury. I'm still like, ah, I got hit in the head a lot. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I, yeah, that's my my card that I pull all the time for my family. I'm like, ah, I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, so yeah. I think uh, the question that that raises for me in the context of of this sort of theme too is that, you know, I feel like there's a lot of research out there showcasing the need for, um, you know, carbs and muscle glycogen in high force athletes and and endurance athletes and all these things. And then, you know, there's some newer research on ketogenic athletes, but then there's a lot of these health studies and purported health benefits. And so, you know, for people who are saying, I want to be an athlete, I want to, you know, have some degree of longevity. Like, how do I balance? Should I be on the Michael Phelps million pancakes diet? Should I just be slamming ribeyes? Like, what do I do with this information And how do I balance, you know, the performance benefits of carbohydrates versus the brain and inflammation benefits of a keto diet? Like, what are your thoughts on that, John?
2: Uh, There's a lot to unpack in that one. (laughs) Um, All right. So what I tend to do is I tend to avoid extremes. So the problem is, is that where most people really love to live is in the minutia of extremes. And most of the world is really in that middle lane. So when you hear this like kind of, uh, you know, big swing, you're eating 7,000 calories and pancakes or you haven't eaten a carb in a year. Uh, it's somewhere in the middle on that one. Uh, I just wrote an article on Power Athlete. It's called John's six rules of strength and, and muscle. I think and I just got an email six... with that like yesterday or today. Yeah. It just came through. Yeah, it just got released, but it was kind of observations that I made over the course of the last 30 years of my life. There were things that I found to be true. I call them rules or principles or whatnot, but I've never, uh, I have not seen a deviation from these. These were constants. Uh, One of them is uh, if you want to put on muscle and you want to be strong and have good body composition, you have to eat a high protein diet. Uh, When they looked at all the muscle gain stuff, uh, it is dramatically harder to gain muscle if you're trying to put on new muscle mass on just a pure ketogenic diet. It's easy for maintaining muscle and body composition, but you need some carbs for that Krebs cycle to be most efficient. Like if you're just trying to build muscle on you know nothing but protein, it's gonna be a little more difficult, actually a lot more difficult. Yeah. So if we wanna make it easy. Uh, really what you do is you look for just a balanced approach. I need to eat enough protein so that I can maintain my lean body, my composition. Um, I need enough uh, carbs to support all this stuff and I need enough fats to have a healthy endogen profile. You know, if you, if you need to lose some weight, then I have to eat a high protein diet and follow those same things in caloric restriction. If I need to gain weight, I need to do the exact same thing in a caloric surplus. And it's really not that complicated. Uh, I did find that people that have had some form of acute brain trauma, the worst thing you can do is fucking load them up with a bunch of sugary drinks. Sure. You know, I like in the NFL when they would come around and hand around, hand out Gatorade. If you ever saw me play, I poured the Gatorade out and I used to pour water because I didn't like the taste of Gatorade during the game. Um, it just made my legs feel slow, and I don't know why. Um, so I would really limit sugar and a ton of carbs if, like, post-workout or post-game when dudes have taken a bunch of uh, big hits. The worst thing I think you could do if a guy had a big head trauma is pump him full of a bunch of Pedialyte and, uh, and Gatorade. So uh, I think there's a, there's a question with that. But I, are carbs the devil? No. Do I believe that maybe there's some inherent periodization with carbohydrate volume over the course of your life, 100%. Sure. Like, for example, I'm sure you guys remember in your 20s, uh, you know, you could probably go out and slam a million drinks, get up and never feel a hangover. And then all of a sudden you try it in your, like, 30s and 40s, and you're like, holy shit, did anybody catch the name of that bus yeah. that hit me? I mean, and, for the most part, it's not even you know, worth it anymore. You're yeah. like, nah, fuck yeah. <laughs> it. But, but, like, I, I use that, like, not as, a, as more of a, like, an observation uh, about carbohydrates. Um, I think when we're very young, anything that we do, anything that we throw out there tends to work very well. And I think, uh, you know, definitely kids and, and hard-charging athletes in their 20 can probably handle a higher amount of carbohydrate. I think as you as you get a little bit older, you probably have to try to trade it down a little bit and be a little smarter. There was, um, I can't remember the name of the doc out of Australia, I actually wrote pretty extensive research on the idea of periodization of carbohydrates as you age. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, the, um, there was a guy, um, Mike, Dr. Michael Rose, who's pretty much like the smartest uh, evolutionary biologist on the planet. He, uh, if you Google his stuff, Michael, Dr. Michael Rose um, evolution, and he'll, he'll have a bunch of videos come up. He spoke at Ancestral Health Symposium a couple of years ago and just fucking blew my mind. But his research... Um, I mean, just to tell you how smart this dude is, they kind of break evolutionary biology into pre and post Michael Rose. Okay. So everything, this is before Michael Rose got here and then this is everything after. So he's gotcha. kind of, the, so
1: he's like the ADBC, but it's the Michael yeah. Rose, the MR, pre MR, post MR.
2: He is some of the smartest dudes in the world I've ever met been like whatever room that dude's in, he's the smartest. So he, uh, he had a really interesting talk at AHS and he talked about this experiment and this research they did on uh, fruit flies. And what they found is uh, they actually went out to like some orchard in Maine that had been there for, you know, eons and they collected fruit flies and they brought them back. And then what they started doing is they took the fruit flies, they fed them like applesauce, which would be considered their ancestral diet. And then they grew and a fruit fly lives about seven days. So they can effectively like, you know, one day for every 10 years, kind of a deal for humans. So what they did is they took them and they started making different colonies and separating them out. And then the next one they fed on like a mixed diet of like bananas and applesauce. And then the third one they fed on just bananas. And then they looked at their longevity over the course of seven days. And what they found was that all of the groups were the same until they got to about day four. And the group that has continued to eat applesauce, their ancestral diet, still continued to perform at a high level. The others that had deviated from the diet and were eating, let's say, uh, a more you know new diet like bananas and sure. no ancestral stuff, all of a sudden tanked and did this. So what Michael Rose theorized was basically extrapolating this off of the uh, food flies, was that uh, at some point around the age of 40, everybody has to return to their ancestral diet. That you can... You know, when you're young and the immune system's strong and everything looks kick-ass, you can effectively out-train, out-sleep, out-eat a shitty diet. But then you get to a point where now all of a sudden your genes and you know cells are dividing and age is happening, and all of a sudden at age forty, you got to start returning to your ancestral diet. Now, does that have to be like a? It's kind of funny in the paleo because he follows like a pretty uh, strict Cordain kind of paleo diet i'm more like the which is kind of big p i'm more like the rob wolf little p where you know we can include some oats and some you know some rice and some other things but for the most part it's pretty close um so that was super impactful for me in terms of like you know people were like well you know i uh, i can eat whatever i want and i'm in great shape and i'm like for now <laughs> but let's see what you can do with this 40. And I saw this all the time in the NFL. I played with these dudes that were in phenomenal shape, 3% body fat, high performers, ate whatever the fuck they wanted. And like, you know, everything was a problem. And now all of a sudden at like age 40, I run into these guys or I go to Tony Gonzalez's hall of fame deal. And I start seeing these dudes and I'm like, Holy shit, what happened to you? Yeah. The problem is, is they didn't, they did not return to their ancestral diet. Uh, they still don't, you know, they're, they're not training with the, with the level of intensity they need. Um, you guys have obviously heard uh, I'm sure about a ton about fasting yep. and this idea of autophagy. It's a big deal now. Like, Oh, you got to fast for autophagy. What people don't realize is that exercise, especially some hit type stuff or heavy lifting heavy weights where there's some maximal exertion is by far a greater source of autophagy than any type of starving. So, uh, it's pretty funny when you have these people like out there uh, starving and, you know, fasting and doing all this under the idea of the guise of like, Oh, I'm doing this for autophagy. I'm like, how about you go lift some fucking heavyweight sprint and go eat some protein and you're probably going to be farther ahead. Interesting. So that's a, that's a kind of an interesting point, but yeah, that Michael Rose talk was really, really impactful in Did, terms of explaining like you you know, what you're saying where like, you know, where does this slide? Right. You're 20 years old. Uh, it's probably the 7,000 calories from pancakes and what you're doing, hard charging athlete doesn't become a factor. Now all of a sudden as you move along the uh, you know, continuum of age, you know, you're going to have to be a little smarter. You're going to have to tighten shit up and you're going to have to, you know, be a little smarter in how you attack this. So, do you think an ancestry,
1: like returning to your ancestral diet, do you think that is somewhat individually based of, hey, do you come from. I'm gonna throw Yosh under the bus. Do you come from South Korea? Well, so do you, you come say, from Southern Italy? Do you come from 100 percent?
0: Yeah, I'd heard of this study what? before, and that was the context it was in. Was that actually some of the variants you see in people's responses to things could be tied to this? Is that if you come from a meat and potatoes culture for the last 20,000 years versus a you know rice and chicken culture versus a whatever it may be that like those things do have genetic outcomes after a certain time domain, and so that's where when we try to do pure, you know, some of the like epidemiological data that isn't accounting for those genetic differences in ancestral diets, that that can be where some of this variance is coming
1: from. So I can start going back to spaghetti and uh,
2: ravioli and shit. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're dead on, man. Like uh, um, I sat in a, a, you know, a paleo talk one time where, you know, they were vilifying, you know, rice and all these different grains and, you know, told a, you know, person of Asian descent that they shouldn't eat rice. They're like, come on, dude. Like their family has been cultivating and eating rice long before we were, you know, fucking still scratching our Absolutely ass. So we had any fucking idea. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's the problem with these absolutes and a lot of this stuff. And I think that's why paleo, which was such an intelligent idea, like eat real foods, you know, the Jack if it's man-made spit it out. I mean, it's really a pretty sharp way approach. The problem is the paleo zealots and uh, all these people started drawing all these boundaries and this and here and here. And all of a sudden it just looked like fucking dogma. It became like different forms of religion, different sects, like are you a traditional, are you a fundamentalist? Are you interpretive? Are you this? Are you, right. you know, um, you know, if you follow this guy, are you a Lutheran? Are you, you know, and it, it felt like a, like the splintering of Christianity in the way that people were pulling different, different pieces of this. And, um, I have always said, I'm like, man, like, uh, we've survived for a long time on, you know, meat, some veggies, eat a little bit of fruit, you know, you need some carbs, whatever it looks like, you know, don't eat the same stuff every day. Uh, and that should probably get you pretty far, especially with the paleo stuff. The problem though, is then you get this stuff where it's like, Oh, but I had these paleo treats because they're honey, they're paleo. And I'm like, yeah, but there was like 3000 calories and like, you know, 400 grams of sugar in that (laughs) just because it's paleo doesn't like, doesn't magically negate total calorie load. And the fact that you're consuming a shit ton of carbohydrates, you know, I could sit there and eat dog shit and snake venom, which is still paleo (laughs) and still be in problems. Yeah, absolutely. Herein lies kind of the ridiculous nature of this, whereas, you know, if you look at any of the power athlete nutrition stuff, it's all very basic in that I'm like, hey, man, middle of the road, you know, isocaloric, 33, 33, 33, if you're going to look for macros and just dividing up carbs, proteins, and fats. And, um, you know, uh, err on the side of food quality, you know, the idea that you can zone on beer and potato chips, don't adhere to that. And um, eat real food. You know, if you can get eight hours of sleep, it helps a ton. Make sure you exercise and do some form of aerobic work. Lift some heavy weights to keep motor units firing. And um, you know, don't ignore problems. Like yeah. if you go to the doctor and your you know your body fat's thirty percent, your blood sugar, your resting uh, blood or their fasted glucose or you know was it fasted blood glucose is one forty. Like like there are some things that you can change. You know, when you're fifty years old, probably get your prostate check. Yeah. You know, like like we'll get a colonoscopy.
1: You're not going to film that, <laughs> but no, I mean, you know? I, I'm right but on like, board with you,
2: man. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I hear you.
1: That's, uh, you my know? dad's been battling prostate cancer for the last few years, and that's one of the things. At an earlier age, I'm going to be going to go get that check because it, it is what it yeah. is, right? You have a hereditary yeah, get, thing.
2: Get a check. Though. Yeah, get your, get your blood work done and see what your PSA number is. So, um, I'm real big on like uh, I don't want like anything to sneak up on me, so I try to be real proactive. And uh, just be real consistent, um, you know, since we started CrossFit football in 2009, which has been roughly about 12 years, we've programmed something like 12 million workouts, and it's, it's like literally millions of athletes have come through this thing, like, I mean, 30,000 just through Train Heroic. I mean, this first time we have launched CrossFit football, I had 16,000 hits that first day. So, I mean, we literally delivered thousands of programs, millions of workouts uh, to, like, people on, on every country, like every continent. And what's pretty amazing, if you aggregate all that data, it's, it looks like, like the fucking matrix, right? But yet there's like one line where it basically points to the person that's able to can train the most consistently. So the person that actually accumulates the most workouts over the longest period of time makes the best performance gains. Mm-hmm. There you go. So, like, when people are like, "Oh, should I train two days, three days, four days?" I'm like, "What can you consistently do?" Yeah, what can I would much day? rather have you. I would much rather have you train three days for five years than five days for a month, right? Yeah, and, and it's it, it's pretty amazing. Same thing with uh with food quality. I mean, w- with dieting, the person if you're if you want to be shredded, the person that can eat in the caloric deficit the longest with a high protein diet usually ends up being the most shredded, and that's I mean, that's how bodybuilders have been getting shredded for years. Right. If the the person that eats in the biggest caloric surplus the longest we'll put on the most weight, right? Like it's, it's like when you see this stuff and, and you know, you guys are in the strength conditioning performance game. Uh, what people do is they really overcomplicate this stuff because it's easier to sell it. And what I think we've done well at power athlete is I'm like, this stuff is super basic. It's based on consistency, effort, uh, relative intensity, you know, like the the most non-crazy way approach to this stuff and just rinse and repeat. Right. And repeat. That's a hard
1: sell for a lot of people, though, because they want to hear the complexity. They want to hear that you have something new. You have something groundbreaking. You have something that's going right. to fix them tomorrow, whereas consistency over a long period of time of if its nutrition or if it's exercise is a hard sell for people.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and I sell people on it all the time in terms of, hey, you're on a journey. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do it for a long time. Um, I started paying attention to CrossFit football right around the 2009 marker, and I was actually one of the gyms, which I think is funny that um greg glassman told you that you ruined crossfit by adding a strength component i was one yeah. of the people that was like fucking right we we're gonna add strength before we're gonna do conditioning that sounds right and yeah. we're gonna do some auxiliary work when we're done all yeah. right like i was i was in that boat i was one of those gyms man um yeah. and it's really impactful they just be like let's do this for a long time and see what happens
0: yeah
2: well uh at the most part, like. Um, uh, I really failed in an in a interesting way. I had this theory like somewhere around my 10th year in the NFL that if I built a massive glycolytic engine, and maybe this was some of the influence on CrossFit, like when I listened to some of their stuff, the idea that like, you know, this big glycolytic engine bleeds both ways, okay. that, it, you know, there's this potent neuroendocrine response and, you know, the, the fantastic claims of like, if you can pull 30 deadlifts at, you know, 315 pounds at a higher heart rate of 180, 800 pounds is attainable. Um, and I, uh, like, not that I believe that at all, but, uh, there was an interesting component to the idea of a glycolytic engine to me that I thought, like, if I could somehow harness this like max effort ATP system with this big glycolytic engine, uh, I could effectively get a bleed effect and this would be, you know, the boost that allowed me to play 10, 12, 14 years. This is what I needed. Gotcha. And, um, I, I tried that and, uh, I was completely wrong. Okay. i was uh, dead ass wrong in my 10th year i ended up uh, going in and playing for the patriots and getting hurt and came back and realized you know that experiment had an essay failed that there's no really replacing and like actually what i was looking for a bleed effect i should have just looked for a silo effect and been like lift heavy weights right so that you have max motor unit recruitment and you can move you know dynamically explosively with heavy loads and then do enough sport specific work sprint So that I, you know, um, are in good enough shape to be able to do this and then build a big aerobic base so that my recovery is amazing in between sets, in between workouts, in between days, like, like really that recovery platform is what allows me to recover from day in and day out. So I didn't really pay much uh, attention to this aerobic platform, you know, this, uh, this big aerobic base, I I, have called it and um, it fucked me. It really did. Like it was a, it was a, it was a strategic fuck up. It was a gamble that I made that I probably shouldn't have made at 32 in my 10th year in the NFL. If it gotcha. was a gamble I was going to make, I should have made it like at 22. Yeah. Uh, but I had this theory and I was like, you know, big, like leak engine, like that makes sense to me. And, uh, when I launched CrossFit football, it had a singular goal. I never wanted another athlete football player or power athlete to ever make that mistake again. So I launched CrossFit Football, I put in a periodized strength template, we sprinted, you know, most of the workouts were anywhere from, you know, five to seven minutes, 12 minutes, maybe 15 at tops. And what I was able to do was I was able to really use those small glycolytic bursts, you know, to create the type of environment I needed and then, you know, sprinting and lifting heavy weights. And then uh, you saw a way more detailed version of that with Field Strong and then Grindstone and and all the other programs we have for Power Athlete.
1: Was that... um. That version of CrossFit football, was that pre or post when you did the CrossFit games with every
2: second counts? Yeah, so I was training um, at a CrossFit gym because I got tired of driving up to Carson. Uh, I lived in Newport Beach and Carson was like 29 miles, but that might as well be five hours in LA traffic. And so I was training at this CrossFit gym and I really wasn't doing much CrossFit. Uh, I do like a little bit of conditioning, but for the most part, I was lifting heavy weights and I was sprinting. And then probably about three, four weeks before uh, I went to training camp, uh crossfit hq called and asked about competing in the CrossFit games and i was like yeah fuck it i'll go win that thing <laughs> and uh so i completely changed my training learned how to do muscle ups handstand push-ups started doing these fucking awful workouts with 1500 burpees you know started going out and trying to run for distance and all this and like it just was the wrong training stimulus gotcha and so, uh, it was funny when I went to the Patriots, I drew, I ran their conditioning test and I like fucking smoked it. The guy was like, wow, that's the best we've had anybody doing the conditioning test in a long time. And then I got out there in pads and I remember I got into my stance, they said set hut and I was like slow off the ball and I'd never been slow. And all of a sudden I like realized that I had forgotten what, uh, Bert Kishansky and Mel Sifid wrote in super training, which is, uh, you know, uh, circuit training and sub-maximal efforts will cause a conversion of fast twitch muscle fibers to slow twitch muscle fibers for you to survive the duration of the workout. And like that piece like fucking blew in my head. And I thought, fuck, I made a serious mistake here. And then when they CrossFit hit me up about doing CrossFit football, I remember thinking like, what do you guys want me to do? You just want me to like teach, athlete, like what do you want? And Greg Glassman's deal with to me was we want you to help us. Well, let me see how I put, he put this because it was unique. I want you to help us develop our technology on how to train athletes. And I look, and so from that moment on, that was really impactful. I looked at what I do here at Power Athlete, and everything that we've designed is a really is a technology okay. that the ability to foster and develop athleticism and everything that you know our singular pursuit is about using the technology I designed to foster and develop athleticism. Gotcha. And uh, that piece of when they asked me to do this, I was like, well, I know where my mistakes are. I know where your mistakes are. I can put out a program that's not just a, you know, adjunct SME to your program, but I can develop my own strength conditioning program, build my own community with my own set of ideals that'll help this world. So that's what we did.
1: Yeah. And it
2: seems like it's working pretty fucking well for a lot of people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on, I guess, seeing, you know, I, I don't know how much you follow at this point, but just seeing where the games have gone and sort of where programming is like, because there's always this sort of thing that's the idea of, you know, the fittest on earth. And that's obviously dependent on how you're testing fitness. I guess uh, you feel free to not answer, but how do you feel about the test at this point?
2: Uh, you know, I, I think there needs to be a caveat that it's the fittest dude on the planet that day with Dave Castro yeah. programming. Right. Like, I mean, it, it's a really hard claim to say that, uh, you know, well, let, let's take it a step further. Right. Let's go back. Right. So CrossFit defines fitness is what increased work capacity over broad time modal domains. I think so. Yeah, CrossFit is defined as what functional movements performed at high intensity. Yep. So, what they did is they kind of created this self serving definition of fitness mm-hmm. increase work capacity over a broad time, mobile domain. So, which increase work capacity. So, you increase the amount of work I can do in given times, random implements over the course of time. So, with that definition, it's a self serving definition that supports their style of training. Because, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to increase work capacity. I'm trying to go faster. I'm trying to do more yeah. in, in less time. Right. And that's a singular pursuit. So it's it's like a self fulfilling prophecy. You are have a self serving definition that's driving back. Right now, here's the problem with that definition. That's not the definition of fitness. That is CrossFit and Greg Glassman's definition of fitness. The universal definition of fitness is applicable to how you're using it. Like in biology, fitness is to as describe or uh, sorry, fitness is identified as your ability to reproduce. So I got three kids. How many you got?
0: Three. Zero. I got three. three.
2: and you go, So Rome and I are way fitter than you because we got three kids <laughs> and you got zero. Definitely also right? like way stronger. Right. <laughs> right. So so like if, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know, uh, Donald Trump's got more kids than us. He's way fitter than us. Yeah. Sure. You know, like uh, my grand or my dad had six kids and grandkids. He's way fitter than me. <laughs> so fitness is really defined. And what I understood fitness is, is fitness is very personal. Right. So your definition of fitness as it pertains to Rome and your definition of fitness as it pertains to you are personal because how you're using it is very different. I've met people and I'm sure you guys have every person that comes through your gym and you talk to them about like, hey, uh, you know, why are you here? What are you training? What's the uh, you know, like what motivated you to show up today? Everybody has a different reason. And it's Mm -hmm. because this is like I want to be I want to be strong enough and fit enough to play with my grandkids. Right. And then you have another guy that's like, well, I want to be strong enough and fit enough to run, uh, you know, a, um, a tough mutter." And somebody else is like, I want to be a jiu-jitsu or a judo player. I want to, you know, uh, compete in the world for jiu-jitsu. I want to do this. I want to play football. All of that performance, all of that fitness is specific to you as the individual. How you get there is really personal. Now, the one thing that's universal, which CrossFit missed on, is performance. So where CrossFit was teaching on performance, we were talking about athleticism and performance. Sorry, they were teaching fitness. We were talking about athleticism and performance. Athleticism is not quantifiable. You either know it or you don't. It's like seeing a Ferrari pull up and hearing a front engine V12 Ferrari. You know that's a badass car. You can hear the sound. And I'm not even a Ferrari fan, but I know it's badass. Right. You can see an NFL receiver sprint down the sideline, rotate his body, catch a ball and take off, or you can see somebody do something amazing, you know, whether it be in the Olympics or in professional sports, and you're like, Holy shit, what did I just see here?
0: Yeah. You there was, know uh... that it's
2: a it's that inherent coach's eye that that looks for symmetry, beauty, and movement. That's athleticism.
1: Was uh, uh, that meme the other day, Metcalf that chased down? Oh that yeah, fucking that's what I was going to bring up. Buried him, and you're like,
0: holy shit! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was and, the and, most and, like and alpha predator thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it's just like an dude, orca not. running you down in the ocean. <laughs> yeah,
2: ho- hocked him, and so like that piece. But then also, performance is quantifiable. Did you perform at the endeavor to the level at which you you know like you intended? So like, hey, I'm a jiu-jitsu player or a judo player and I go in and I, you know, win one match and I train and then I win three matches and then I win four, your performance went up. Yep. There is no mistaking that. There is no arbitrary black box. It's if this, then that. So what we found is that, you know, with the CrossFit, with the the fitness, the self-serving definition and something that's personal was a lot easier. I prefer to live in reality and say, okay, can we make you a better athlete? Yes, we can. Because we understand the components of athleticism. And If I break them down, I can fucking sharpen the pieces, put it back together and make you a better athlete. But it's upon you as the individual to use that athleticism strength and performance to go out and ramp up and test the performance nature of what we did. Right. And so that's kind of where I've I've always lived on. And it's always funny. We had Colleen Fausch on our podcast who went to the Costa Games last year, and now she's up in Lake Placid, New York, trying for the bobsled for the she got invited I, to
1: travel. Olympic lifter. He just he quit a little while ago. We set an American snatch record a few years ago. Jared is starting an F. Not, uh, they're both up at yeah. Lake Placid training to push yep. the bobsled.
2: Yeah. So uh, I couldn't be more happy. So she swam at Cal and like, you know, can, like I think she qualified for the Olympic trials, didn't go to the Olympics, uh, was kind of like doing a CrossFit deal. And I saw her, geez, in like 2014, 2015 uh, at, a some CrossFit event, um, at the CrossFit games. And I like kind of cornered her and I was like, what are you going to do with your life? She's like, I want to be a professional CrossFitter. Right. And I was like, you have so much more in you. Like do not. And, and it was funny cause I think she kind of like didn't really know me. And, and I like came over and cause I went to Cal, she went to Cal and I was like, dude, like, uh, you have so much more talent than this. And so it was hilarious as we were on the podcast, she, you know, I, I, we brought it up and she's like, man, you were pushing me to do something like this all those years ago. And I'm just like, because what I want to see, and this is kind of like, uh, this is just kind of selfish for me, but I want to see the world's best people compete at the, at, at yeah. like at the highest pinnacle of their sport on the world's biggest stage and stand with their hand up victorious. Like I'm like a fan of humanity in that way. Yeah, uh, I don't want anybody like, like, Uh, and and if they lose and they fail, at least they failed on the world's biggest stage in the biggest moment. And you know what, they'll go home, they'll rework it, they'll come back. So the fact that, you know, she's out there, you know, trying to, you know, go and compete in a sport that she's never done and bobsledding in this, like I was like, I even told her, I'm like, I'm a fan. I'm i I'm so proud of you. Like go bears. Like that is so awesome. Like, that's what I hope for not only her, for everybody that's listening in this, like i want to see you take this training and use it in a meaningful way. So that you can hoist your, you know, your fist, or you know, see the American flag go up, and wear a gold medal, and just be the best in the world.
1: Absolutely, and what a cool training spot, Mount Van Hovenberg is awesome. I used to go up there every year as a kid um, for skiing. We would go up there for uh, mm-hmm. ski trips and ski camps to train. Was at Mount Van Hovenberg, and it was, what what a cool training place. Mm-hmm. Uh, another question for you, John. Yep. When you were in the NFL, you pretty much had every recovery training tool at your fingertips. I, I mean, I've heard you talk about sleeping in hypervaric tents and all that crazy shit. Is there anything that you took from that time period that you still use today?
2: Yeah, I still uh, do contrast. So I wake up every morning and I stand in the hot for about two minutes and I do three minutes in the cold. And I roughly do about two or three bouts of contrast every day. And that's just Um, like your
1: straight up shower. There's nothing fancy. There's
2: no sauna, cold tub. That's showers, cold showers, hot. Hit it yeah, way. I'm 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 really big on like what is the easiest application. If I gotta go fire up the infrared sauna and do all this stuff, then it like adds a layer. Like if I just get in the shower and stand with my face in the hot water for a little bit and then I hit the cold, like that contrast. Uh, the other thing which I didn't have in the NFL that I, I am a huge believer in do twice a day is the RPR. Okay. So yeah, the Restorative posture Reset, Caldeeds, JL, that deal based off of Douglas Heal's work called be Activate. Uh, if you guys haven't done it, check it out. They do seminars. Um, I do it uh, first thing in the morning. I do it first, before I go to bed. I do it on all my kids. Very and uh, it's, it, it's really good. The other thing I do and I've always done is I go get regular chiropractic work. So, uh, I go get ART work on my shoulder. I get my neck adjusted. Like on occasion, one of my ribs pops out from an old injury. Gotcha. And, uh, if something's bothering me, I have, um, like I'm, I'm a little leery on chiropractors. Uh, I've met some really good ones and I have some really good people here in, uh, in Austin. One, um, Tony Harp, who's, uh, you know, one of the Rosti guys works on me. just does great. Uh, Dr. Bob Meyer, who's here. He, he's like one of the only dudes I've ever met that could adjust me. And, uh, I, I go see those guys regularly and, um, it's pretty extensive. I remember Dr. Bueller showed me research years ago that talked about just regular chiropractic work. If you go in get adjusted, have them work on you a little bit, assuming the guy's not some fucking charlatan, uh, will prevent a lot of these kind of orthopedic issues down the road. So I've, I've always gone and had some ART worked on, on anything chiropractic. I go see Dr. Bueller, and he does the AMET on me twice a year. Um, and for the most part, man, I try to like lift heavy weights and make sure I train and not eat like an asshole and get as much sleep as I possibly can. And, uh, if I can do that, I feel like I'm usually, you know, drink some water. I've been big on the, uh, element salt with Rob Wolf steel. We sell that. That stuff,
1: that stuff is awesome. That is a game
2: changer. Like that is awesome. It's, it's almost to the point now where I'm like drinking water, thinking something's missing. I'm like, shit, like, um, my and, issue is um, I don't drink water unless I have it. Literally, yeah, I'm just yeah. like,
1: I ran out of salt. I got to go back to the gym yeah. and get more salt because I fucking – or then I'm drinking yep. caffeine in some way, shape, or form if I don't have salt.
2: Yeah, so I like it's um, – I really wish I had some like insane uh, fucking regimen where I slept in a hyperbaric chamber, or, you know, some, I don't know, <laughs> fucking motor oil or something. Yeah. But, but uh, from, man, I
1: don't know about you. Like I mean, your kids are a little bit older than mine. I know um, your youngest is right around the same age as my middle – But um, I think last night I slept in three different beds for different Mm -hmm. time periods where I fell asleep in my daughter's room. I was back in my room. I was back in my – like, just the hyperbaric chambers aren't really a a dad thing to do with young little kids. It just is what it is.
0: You just need to buy locks for your kids' doors. No, because then
2: what they do is they just knock. Uh, Tranquilizers. My my little boy is almost five, and he will wake up at about, like, 4.30 4.30 every morning and come in and like either he has to go use the restroom, or whatever, or he has to come tell me that, or he'll come in and be like, move over. And I'll like <laughs> kind of scoop him in the middle. Yep. But um, it was funny this morning. He didn't come in and I woke up like clockwork. Sure. Like at What's going on? Yeah. I was like <laughs> looking around. I kind of laid there and then I went in and I like went to check on him. And he was like knocked out. And then I asked him, I'm like, dude, you didn't come in. And he's like, yeah, I figured I'd give you a night off.
0: Nice. <laughs> and That's I, awesome, I,
2: I just laughed. He's a uh, man. My son is so funny. I, uh, I took him. I, I take the girls to gymnastics yesterday and um, they go and then he goes. And like, he's the only little boy in there. And uh, dude, he's just so funny. Like I, awesome. I, I tell him all the time. I'm like, man, I'm so glad to be your dad. You are like the funniest little kid. I, I really enjoy being his dad, and I tell him, I think I think you're a cool little kid, man. That's if you, awesome. If you man. weren't, I would tell you, you weren't a cool little kid, but you're <laughs> yeah. you're you're a cool little kid. It's pretty like, crazy. It's super funny. The, uh, the difference of just
1: personality types, right? My oldest is a, uh, my daughter, so my, my daughter is my oldest, and I have two little boys after that. And the personality differences of just the the innate traits that they have and their mm. personalities, same th- same type of thing. Where uh, most nights, I, I bought my son. He's three and a half. I bought him a queen size bed so I can go sleep in there. Um, Dude, lucky be, kid it, bo- All of my kids have queen size beds So I can do that Because it's like The youngest <laughs> The baby comes into our bed And I'm like all right, See you later I'm going to go sleep In one of their I beds.
0: don't feel bad For you moving beds anymore
1: No, though. it's fine it's, <laughs> Honestly, I have more room In their beds Than I have in my own <laughs> But um, So with, with kids in mind And all that cool stuff Man, any of these Life lessons That you've pulled From all of your experience Of playing in the NFL, running millions of workouts for millions of people or thousands of people. What are, you, what are you trying to show your kids? Like, what are you trying to pass on to them for physicality, nutrition, all that kind of fun stuff?
2: Um, you know, I think I learned about uh, hard work and perseverance from uh, just watching my dad. Uh, my mom and dad were always hard workers. So I want, um, I want my kids to just observe that mom and dad are hard workers. Like, you know, like the fact that like when they'll look back and they'll be like, holy shit, my dad moved out to the Texas you know, built a office on his property, put up a big building with weights and his buddies used to come lift weights. Like I want that to be their culture. But what I want them uh, never to think about, like one is um, laziness in our family and that was growing up. And even in ours is, is not a trait that is, well, is welcome. Sure. So I want them to, to see that mom and dad are hard workers that, you know, um, the best you can hope for in this world is just uh, quality of opportunity. That, you know, as long as everybody's provided the same opportunities, a quality of outcome is a a, a, is a terrible scam. And, you know, like putting cement boots on somebody where you're expecting to have the same outcome, even though you worked hard or you didn't, uh, which, you know, kind of sucks the life out of people. So I want them to have as much opportunity as they can. I don't want them to ever feel like they did not have the same, uh, you know, the greatest opportunities they could. Um, I want them to understand what hard work is which I'll just keep saying over and over again. Uh, and, but for the most part, like I really would love to teach them, you reap what you sow in this world. Okay, uh, If you're a good person, you train hard, you do all the things that you should. Um, the uh, outcome is dramatically better. But the other thing I, I tell them all the time too, which is, um, and I'm, I'm not an overly religious person, uh, but uh, I do find that some Bible quotes and a little bit of discussing God sometimes makes sense. Um, I tell them all the time, like, God never punishes the wicked. God punishes the weak. okay so therefore, if that's the case, then if something bad happens, you can't just hope that something bad happens from karma, like the wicked. Remember, God punishes the weak, so then therefore you have no excuse to be weak. that strength is what's coveted that you have to be stand strong enough to be able to put your shoulder against the door and push the wind through. you have to be able to stand with the wind in your face and be able to be a fucking rock. And the way you do that is you become strong a body, strong a mind, strong a culture, you know, and like know exactly who you are. I want them to, to leave this house when they go off to college to know exactly who they are, what they can accomplish and what they want to do in this world. And even if they don't know it, like they still they need a clear path. They so they have an idea of who uh, they are, which will help them immensely. Yeah. Like I've, I've always feared for kids and I see this a lot where like, you know, uh, and, and you've heard me say it on the podcast, like, like nobody's coming to save you. Yeah. You know, like if, if your car breaks down and you just sit there hoping to God that John Welborn pulls up behind you to push your car out of traffic, it's fucking, probably not going to happen. Yeah. No. And, and and that's the reason that like part of our power, it's pretty funny here at power athlete. Like we have a few different rules. One of them is if you see somebody's car broken and somebody's fucking stalled on the side of the road, you get out and you just push the amount of people that I've come across with their car was stalled. And I'll like stop behind and put on my blinkers, knock on the window and they'll be like, I'll be like Hey, you need to push. Yeah. No problem. They'll go to get out. I'm like, you just steer. I'll fucking Yeah, absolutely.
1: I did, that, me. Yeah, I, I did that recently yeah. where the guy was like, you sure. It was, I think he was in a, uh, 250 and he's like you sure you can push it i was like put it in neutral man i'll be fine just fucking yeah. let's yeah. go and, and uh <laughs>
2: because because I'm, I'm always amazed by people that like just sit in the car with the blinker on and they're like like i i mean my cars have broken down i've driven old shitty pickup trucks my whole life and the amount of times i've been like fucking steering and pushing my hand on the door jam yeah, right? pushing my car out of traffic <laughs> and it's like why do you lift weights why do you train so i can fucking push myself and push other people out of traffic so I think for my kids, uh, they know that strength is coveted. I never ask my daughters, like, I never say, Oh, you look so pretty today. I'm like, let me see your muscles. Let me see what you got. Right. Like, let me see how many pushups you have. So I want my daughters to be strong. I want them to be intelligent. I want them to be well-read. And like, I want them to feel that I prepared them for the world. Like what I hear so much. I mean, I was reading, it's funny. I, uh, Chris Morris just hit me up. Cause, um, He was uh, posted a picture of coddling the American mind, which I I recommended to him. And uh, in there, like, I don't want my kids to ever feel like, well, the reason I wasn't successful or the reason this didn't happen was because somebody else, somebody else's fault. Like, I have to take that on me and be like, hey, if I didn't succeed, uh, here's where I need to improve and I need to up my game. And this is what I need to do. And they need a support system to do it. And um, I tell my daughters all the time, I'm like, you guys are strong. They're nine. I'm like, they're strong, intelligent women who will be very, very well uh, motivated and like secure and stable to go out in the world and blaze a path to kick the door off of the hinges. When you go to college, I will be so proud to stand there, come move you in and do anything you need. But at the end of the day, like when that door slams, it's on you. And I, I think with this helicopter parenting and a lot of what we're seeing in this, in, in our country and just in this culture now is a lot of like kicking the can down the road. It's somebody else's fault and I don't have to take responsibility and somebody else will save me. I tell them all the time, man, God punishes the weak, not the wicked. So don't be weak.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, if anybody that's listening to this has not read that book, I read that book, uh, I think last year off Scutnik's uh, recommendation. Great book. And it's also on Audible. So if you're in your car a lot and you don't have a chance to actually open a book, I, I listened to it while I was doing manual labor outside. Mm-hmm. Um, similar to you, that's a big thing. I make sure that my kids are outside with me every weekend while I'm cutting down trees or moving, whatever, moving brush. Um, I think it's super important. That's awesome, man, that you're really trying to instill that to them and they'll be their own people and they'll be
2: awesome. Well, they say the mark you have on, uh, on the world, isn't necessarily what you accomplish, but the effect you have on others. So I always think about the ripple effect, like, uh, you know, if it's just me and I throw a rock in and it splashes, but what I want to do is, um, you know, have that ripple effect kind of go on. And I always think it's really interesting. Like this is, um, you know, like, uh, how many people are actually remembered? Like, I was kind of, like, thinking on this the other day. Like, how sad is it that, like, uh, so, did you guys watch the movie Coco? I don't think so. Oh, yeah, yeah the, uh, oh, yeah, the yeah. animated the d- skeleton. Yeah, Mex- yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I know yeah so about. it's all based on Dia de las Muertas, where, like, you know, you put up pictures and you remember your family. And I thought it was really interesting that, like, we have pictures of, like, my grandparents, and we started putting up pictures and doing a little altar to remember our family. But, like, I don't have pictures of my great grandparents. Like I like, like there's so many people I didn't know uh, that I don't have pictures and I have no association with. And I like, you know, I I was named for uh, my great uncle, John, who was like a big dude. He was like six, seven. So, um, but I've never seen a picture and I don't know anything about him. I just remember my granddad who that was his uncle was like, you know, told me once, he's like, you're going to be big. Like your uncle, like my uncle John was. He's pretty spot on. And, yeah. and, uh, he, he, the, when he, uh, I asked him when I was little and I was, and he was like, he was a big dude or he just, I remember he's like, he was a big man. I was like, well, how big? And he said that he would uh, hold an ax in one hand and could split wood with, uh, uh, with one hand. So he never put more than he like all his big axes. He said that he could swing a, uh, another man's two handed axe with one hand and could split wood. And I just always remember that was like, he was like six, seven, like a big dude. So um, have you
0: tried? Have you split wood with one hand lately?
2: Oh, yeah, easy. <laughs> I do it with fists. <laughs> nice. uh, but like that piece of like remembering and like, um, you know, making your mark so that just one generation it disappears, that, you know, like, I always find it very interesting that uh, you know, like the mark of the man is the effect he has on the others. So I want to have a good mark. I want to, you know, look back and have people say, Hey, what you did at power athlete was, was good. It was, uh, it was done well. And um, you know, it helped people get to where they wanted, which was helping people, you know, meet their goals and there was nothing nefarious or, Or weird or i don't know like fucking greg glassman-esque about it some maniacal fucking dr evil bullshit i think um speaking with someone
1: who's been following power athlete for a long time one of the biggest things that you guys have done for me is uh giving me perspective it's perspective on a whole bunch of different avenues of life of fitness of rep schemes of programs but also in different aspects of life and i think it's super um important to have perspective and not be so singular focused on well this is how i was taught and this is how it's done it's nothing uh lives in a vacuum right nothing is created in a vacuum everything everything is yeah. everything and everything's nothing
0: right <laughs> awesome yeah. So, so to wrap up, John, I mean, I feel like there's so much good stuff in here, but I was just sort of thinking about this. You know, we talked a little bit about how basically like CrossFit is its own sport, right? It's not really a, an impartial test of fitness. It's a sport specific thing with its own meta. And every year the programming changes and the physiques of who succeeds changes and everything mm-hmm. goes around. So you have these fit dudes, you have Matt Fraser's, you have whatever else, obviously great guys, but there's, these huge black holes of talent sucks in the forms of things like the NFL. If you were to cancel the NFL, you shut down CrossFit, and you throw everyone at the Olympics... What's like the most interesting, you know, you get to see Saquon Barkley's power cleaning, 405 pounds in college without, you know, training specifically as a weightlifter. You've got Tyreek Hill. Like, I don't know. Is there anything that you think would be uh, most significant or interesting in this alternate reality where like everyone gets a stab at the Olympics and isn't sucked into other sports? Like, is there anything Mm -hmm. there that jumps out at you?
1: So you're talking
2: about like Russia?
0: Yeah, I I don't know. uh, It's just one of those like... That's
2: that's really interesting. I mean, I think... um, uh, you know, the guys that I played with, uh, were, you know, incredibly fast. I think like the track and field sports from, you know, the hundred, the 200, the 400, the 800, I think the, the hurdles, I think pole vaulting, um, I think, uh, you know, pretty much every, uh, sport within track and field, I think, you know, from shot put and everything would be extremely well represented. Uh, I think, uh, for the crossfitters, I I, like there's really nothing in the CrossFit or in the Olympics that looks like submaximal duration type of stuff. I mean, I like, I don't know where the, you know, are the Matt Frazier's of the world. I mean, I know he was an Olympic lifter and he's a pretty good athlete. I don't know where necessarily he fits into all that, but, um, I don't know. It'd be interesting. I uh, I definitely think that bobsled thing is pretty good because if you look at the the guys that are the pushers and pretty good in the bobsled, they're all ex football players. Really? Like, running, know like running backs, fullbacks, like dudes that are like you know 511 eleven, five nine, like you know two sixty, real strong, real explosive. Sure. Um, I think I, I, I yeah. yeah yeah like being able to push. So I think that would be good. um I think judo and the fight stuff, boxing. Yeah. Um, you know, and the judo would be good. Um, Fencing with like, kind of like that ability to like, you know, precision would be good. Uh, ping pong, which, you know, is one of my favorite <laughs> yeah, a
1: ping pong table back there when you showed us yeah. the office. So oh, clearly dude, you guys We have we,
2: have, we have a ping pong table. Uh, that's how we settle all of our disputes is via ping pong. <laughs> that's awesome. um, but uh, I, yeah, I, I think if uh, you know, pre- pretty interesting. I remember Travis mash hit me up and was like, you know, it's pretty funny that like, I'm able to take a lot of these kids who were, you know, Division III, uh you know, potentially football players, guys who are pretty good high school football players, and I can win – I think I can win gold medals with these guys in, awesome. in, in Olympic yeah. weightlifting. So – and if you know what Travis does, man, like I'll watch – I like watch those videos and I'm like, holy shit, dude. He's got like high school kids squatting 600 pounds.
1: Yeah. So yeah, well, he, uh, yeah absolutely. Him. Isn't that the story from the dude from uh, Cal Strength? What's his name? Yeah. Uh, former um, football player Cal, Cal. Um, Wes Kitts, right?
2: Yeah, well, Wes was a football player yep. and got it. Got into a little bit of CrossFit, and then they sucked him into Olympic weightlifting, and he's he's gone on and become a beast. So yeah. um, I think it would be extremely interesting. I think we would see some amazing shit in the uh, um, in, in the speed stuff. Yeah, I mean, I I played with some dudes that were really fast, but also like the decathlete. Like the decathlon, I think would be amazing. Right. So, I mean, what's, what's great is if you build a foundation, built, like if you train for athleticism and you're an incredible athlete, you can port over and do a lot of different stuff. The problem is is when people become so specialized in what they do that they never develop athleticism in terms of like the grander scheme of training and you know, being able to, you know, run and swim and jump and play and you know, ball stick, slide. I mean everything that looks like a, a model for developing athleticism. When you solve a sudden get into this specialty too soon, I think it's when we run out of you know, and then even though they might be successful, it doesn't port over as well.
0: Right. It cool, makes a lot of sense. So. Well, cool, cool, man. Thanks so much for your time and coming on the show. Thank you, John. Thank
2: you, I you for really having me. appreciate it. Anytime, anytime. Thank you so much. If you guys want to catch up uh, at me, um, you can find me on social media at John Wellborn. If you want to learn more, Power Athlete HQ, and uh, you can find me on my personal blog, TalkToMeJohnny.com. Rock on, Awesome. Man. Thank you man, again, Have dude. a great
0: rest of your day. Thank you. Appreciate it. See you.